Okay, it looks like we're live. Hey, everybody, it is Angie Atkinson, and I'm here today with the lovely and talented Dana Morningstar. She, Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> welcome back. As you guys know, we do this once a week uh, here, and then we do it over there on her channel every other week. So let's just jump right into it. Okay. Good <laughs> All deal. right. Dana said she wants to start off with a question for everybody today. So let me know what your question is, Dana. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. So this is something that comes up often and uh, people often want to know when should they tell their new partner about their former abusive ex? That's a good question. And so I think, yeah, I think, Hey, Jessica, censor, Nicole, Angelina, James, child of God, Catherine, Leah, Nova Scotia. Hello, everybody. Monica North. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Um, Phoenix. Hello. Okay. Really quick. (laughs) So my thoughts on this are this, I think you don't tell the person until you know them well enough that, you know, they're not going to throw it back in your face later, because if you happen to accidentally get mixed up with another narcissist or another toxic person of any sort, then that person may use your past against you in order to hurt you. I've had that happen to me. Um, so I think it's, you know, I almost want to say when you're comfortable enough that you can pass gas in front of that person. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts, Dana? That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think it's important to make sure that they're emotionally safe mm-hmm. and that your relationship has the potential to go the distance. Yeah. And yeah. cause us coming out of these types of, of any type of abusive relationship, um, it can really like other people don't know what to do with that. Right. And so I have made the mistake of opening up to people on dates, like right away, first yeah. or second date, they start talking about their ex. They asked me about mine and I was like, well, I'm an open book and I have nothing to hide. I'm totally comfortable with my past. I've learned a lot. I've moved on. Like, I don't feel like I'm still like, driven by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize kind of the tone that I was setting by opening oversharing <laughs> is basically what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I, every time I did that, I, then later on, I would feel almost sick to my stomach of, cause you start seeing like their reaction to what you're saying. And, and then you start feeling like, Oh my God, they either think I am exaggerating or that I'm crazy or mm-hmm. thinking what's wrong with me that I would be involved with somebody like this. Totally. Yeah. And it just is the worst feeling because you're just all of that embarrassment and shame just comes back. It does. Yeah. I've experienced something very similar. And even like when it, even talking about like my narcissistic mother, who I didn't know was a narcissist, but I knew was toxic. Um, that was thrown back in my face regularly, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it was definitely, I agree with you. I think it's our nature, I think, as empaths to want to be an open book. And I think that, you know, what ends up happening is that when we do accidentally get entangled with someone who's toxic, we end up having, they kind of use that against us on every level, not just about our past relationship, but about our insecurities about, you know, if we say, oh, you know, I've always been a little insecure about this, you know, whatever this crazy hair of mine or whatever every <laughs> every time you get past that you know every time initially they'll be like oh, I always love your hair your hair is great don't even worry about it during the love bombing but then as time goes on 
you know, they might say something to you like, your hair is really crazy, you know, <laughs> like just to kind of poke at you when you're yeah. feeling, and that's a really tame example, but. And, and to, to go with that example, it might even be something like you're leaving the house or it's an important event. Mm. And it's where you're like hypersensitive about maybe how you look. And it's some sort of comment about like, oh, well, you're not going to wear that, are you? Or yes. that's a strange, or that's an interesting choice in a hairstyle or something kind of snarky where it just rattles you for the rest of the evening. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Same. I, I dated one guy uh, after the first narcissist in my life. And frankly, hindsight being what it is, I would say more like the first narcissist was really more of a, was a sociopath. Is my pattern was really like sociopath, narcissist, and sociopath. Yeah. And the second guy, the in-between guy, uh, I we lived in a small town, and I told him everything about my ex because everybody kind of knew everybody. And I think the second guy was cheating, and so anytime I brought up anything, he would blame it on my previous relationship and saying, "Oh, well, you know, he really messed you up bad, but don't blame me for this. And if you keep." Uh, blame accusing me of doing of cheating, which I wasn't accusing. I was questioning because there's some legitimate squirrely things there. As he said, if you keep questioning me about this, I'm just going to go out and do it. Yeah. And then it was sort of like, Oh no, who has the issue? Is it me or is it him? And, and is my same. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, what is that though? I mean, like that, I think that when they do that, that it's about, maybe they're already doing it. And then this is going to be their excuse later. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, this person blamed their cheating on me because I was jealous or they blame their cheating on me because I just had a baby and I'm not wearing my push-up bra anymore or whatever, <laughs> you know? And I, I think that's crazy. I think, what do you think about that? Do you think that's I, common? Yeah. I think it's their way of trying to justify their behavior to themselves you know, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't have cheated, but she kept accusing me of it. So I figured, well, I'm not going to just be accused. Of, you know, if I'm going to be accused for it, the, I might as well go do the crime kind of right. It's, right. Just, it's just ridiculous. And it, it's childish logic, first of all, but yes, to say the least. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was, I didn't learn the lesson in that for many years afterwards. And the lesson that I really took away from that was, to tighten up my, my standards to be like, I don't do perpetual confusion and mental anguish and squirrely behavior. I don't need to figure out if it's me or if it's him or if it's my past or if this is real or if it's a perception of reality. I don't even need to go down that rabbit hole. If, if I can't, if that a person doesn't feel emotionally safe and there's not that kind of solutions oriented communication and things are being spun back around on me that, you know, for legitimate, like if somebody's hiding their phone, this is back in the day, like when there wasn't pass codes on a phone. So like if somebody's hiding their phone, if they're, you know, strange women were texting him and I mean, all the signs were there, yeah. you know? Um, and I just kind of kept thinking like, well, I need concrete proof. Right. Like, I don't know what else I was looking for when women were sending him sexy pictures of themselves. They don't, right. friends don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> so like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I cannot even, yeah, it's, and the, you know, the internet is an amazing thing, but it's definitely made it so much easier today for people to cheat for sure. 
And that's the, the, the downside, one of them. <laughs> it's also yeah. made it easier for some people to think they were normal when they, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that before we move forward? No, I'm good. Um, I do have some questions in the chat if you're- Yeah, let's go. Okay, this one's from Annie who says, I have a question. I left my narcissist and I'm wondering if he ever cared about me really. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say my, my little thing about this really quick. And I'm going to tell you all about this new phone. I got I'm not going to tell you anything about it, except it's a new phone. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I have another phone that I just could still be using. That's perfectly fine. But this phone right here, it has more features. And I had that phone for two years already. Mm-hmm. I loved that phone. And now I love this phone. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why am I telling you that? Because that's how a narcissist loves us. They love us because we do things for them because we make th- in the same way that I love this item. They love us when they love us. And in the same way that I don't love that other phone anymore, they stop their love for us when we become less useful or we work a little slower or we get used to their crap and we don't put up with it anymore. That's my experience. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. You know, I think as a whole narcissists, it's just part of it. It's they're lost in a paper bag of themselves and it's all about them all the time. They don't emotionally connect and bond with the depth that other normal people do. Right. And so just like Angie's example of, Oh, I love the phone. Like if, you know, if the phone were to break, or what have you, they would just get a new phone. It's not about, there is no depth of connection to the phone. That's why they move on so quickly because there's no, our, our level of bonding, it's like deep roots from a tree. Theirs is not, it's very, very shallow. So it's easy for them to uproot and move on. Yeah. It's like we're objects and you know, one of, Someone, I'm not going to give away all the information here, but somebody I know and I'm very close to was telling me about a friendship they have where this person strategically, methodically pushed all of my person's friends away and then said, you know what? I don't want to hang out for a while. So now this person has no one to hang out with. It's a young person and it's really, you know, difficult. And I, and I, And I said to this person, that is a toxic relationship pattern. It's not a boyfriend or a girlfriend situation. It's a friend situation. But this friend came in and within months methodically pushed away all the other friends in this, in this person's life. And, and then said, we don't need other friends and told this person in my life, do not make new friends because we just need us to be friends. And so, but I'm not going to hang out for a while. So (laughs) I I just, I, I couldn't believe this was happening. Um, so we had a discussion about that and this person will continue to make new friends as usual. But I think that's a very bizarre pattern that you see and not only in relationships, but also in even, I mean, not only in romantic relationships, but also in parent child relationships and obviously friend relationships. So I thought that was I'm not sure why I brought that up, but Oh, because the, the love factor, right? You can't, it's, it's about what that person can do for us. We're objects to them. They want us to go up on our shelf in our closet when they're not using us. And then when they want our attention, they want us to pop right back out and be a, a shiny new phone again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a saying out there uh, 
that a narcissist will demand that you make them your everything. And in turn, they'll make you their nothing. Yeah. And it's so true. And I, it's absolutely crushing with the ease that they can move on. And I remember that was one of the things with the first, the first sociopath in my life. I just could not wrap my mind around that. I'm like, I don't understand how I feel like I lost my best friend and we had this amazing relationship and everything was great. And now it's like, you don't even care. It's, you just didn't even miss a beat. I mean, it was like, I I just had never experienced anything like that before. And um, that's incredibly hurtful to try to move forward when, you know, your world is blown apart and this other person has moved on with a new person and they're seemingly so happy in love and, and, and it can make a person really feel like it must be me because yeah. this new person, they're posting pictures all over social media of how happy they are. They're going on vacations. They're, they're out living their life. And maybe everything that they had told me really was true. Maybe it really is my fault, or maybe I just wasn't good enough in some way. Right. And that's not true. It's just like, it's said, you just replace, replace and discard. It's just yeah. their eternal cycle. And and you have to look at it as though it's like a handicap they have almost. If you can, it, it's hard to give them that much credit, but it's true. They almost can't see past your usefulness as as a way. They they almost aren't. I think they're incapable of actually the of the depth of love that we empaths tend to give, and and I think they can't even fathom caring so much about another person. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that to excuse them. I'm saying that to help you understand you, the viewers, the survivors understand that it really was never you. It couldn't be you. It couldn't have been your fault. So, yeah. Okay. And um, LaCroix says, I have a narcissistic father. I grew up with that piece of garbage and it ruined my teenage years. And all these years, I thought I was the one doing the wrong things. Me too. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's so common when you have um, a narcissistic parent, because in their mind, it's just all about them all of the time. If you probably one of the best examples I ever heard of this was from the book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship. And she talks about how b- abusers view their targets and they view them as like a child views a teddy bear. Yeah. And in the child's mind, the teddy bear and him, they, the child and the teddy bear share one mind and the teddy bear is never going to act or say, or do anything outside of what that child wants it to do. Right. And narcissists and other types of abusers are the exact same way. And so when that teddy bear us does act in a way that's, that's in discord with right. their internal monologue, they don't know how to handle that. And so that's when they start grinding down those edges of like, well, wait a minute, you can't, you know, um, you can't like beer. I don't like beer. I only like wine and and you can't, you know, like rock music. I like country and, and you can't wear that outfit. I don't like that outfit. And you don't, and it is, you can't, you know, go to college. I don't, I want you to be a mechanic and, and it on and on and on and on and on. And so to the person that's on the receiving end of that, they're like, especially if there's some kernels of truth in that, mm-hmm. they start targeting you about things like your height or your weight or whatever, or they're like, oh, you know, 
you messed up. You forgot to buy milk at the store. And that's why I yelled at you. Yeah. Kind of things. Or like, no, I'm just being honest. That outfit looks bad on you, you know, cause you're fat or whatever. And if we're on the receiving end of that, it's like, well, I mean, you know, is this true? Because I mean, yeah, I know I can lose some weight and I know I forgot to buy milk at the store and I know all these things, but it doesn't make it okay for another person to just be on the attack all the time. Right. Totally. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's so, it's so difficult, I think, to wrap our heads around it because I, so many, one of the things that I did, and I think that a lot of us do is, you know, I read all this stuff. I didn't have the same kind of information that's available today when I figured all this out, but I did a lot of reading and digging and I kept thinking, well, here's, here's a slight difference in my situation. Maybe it's not the case or here's, you know, but again, as I've said repeatedly, I I see this all the time, regardless of the type of personality disorder or whatever this person has, whatever the label is, we have to remember that toxic is toxic. And I'm just adding that because I see it right here, a question from inspired by you who says, has anyone else had the experience where the narc never asked you or showed interest in you, your past, your likes and dislikes, et cetera. And I would say that I have experienced that with some people. Have you experienced that? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's been my, I don't, I've experienced, I feel like a wide range of both narcissists and sociopaths and that I would say like more of the true narcissists in my life don't care at all about right. anything that's going on with me. The one guy I was talking about earlier, um, my mother had met him. And one of the first things she said after he left was she's like, you know, he didn't ask me anything about me. Yeah. And he just sat there and he just sat there and he either talked about himself or he didn't say a word. Yeah. I've experienced that as well, as well as uh, narcissists or toxic people in general, um, like always turning the conversation back to them. So even, you know, if, if, if you try to identify with them, let's say that we're sitting here, we're talking about that, whatever. And you, you say to that person, that person says, you know, I used to swim when I was a kid, I was on this amazing swim team. And you say, Oh, I like to swim too. I was, I tried to be on a swim team one time or whatever. I'm just making that up because my, my kids are swimmers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then inevitably the narcissist would quickly spin the conversation back around. Oh, that's interesting. So anyway, about me, you know what I mean? And that on that same, so I, I don't know if inspired by you had a similar situation or they just never asked, but, and, and I also think it depends on the um, type of relationship. So like Dana said with um, like you said, Dana, with the, your mother, she wasn't asked any questions at all, but maybe that person was interested in some things about you. I'm not sure. Were they, do you know? No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I liked him because he was very handsome and he liked to go camping and oh. do outside outdoor stuff. And so yeah. that was our connection. Yeah. There you go. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Lauren Pearson says, I wonder why it's commonly claimed that narcissists have high IQs. Mostly <laughs> most I've dealt with don't really seem to. Um, can I, can I, let me just say this. Um, go for it. <laughs> I've experienced that same thing. And I think one of the things that you might notice is an incredibly low EQ. But personally, I've not seen, I've seen some narcissists who are very intelligent, but I've seen plenty who are not even, you know, I would say are, are out of their league with me. And maybe, maybe those are the ones that are easier to spot. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. That's an interesting 
thought about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, anybody can, I mean, any narcissist is still a person at the core. And so they can be, you know, young, old, smart, not so smart, you know, rich, poor, work in a high power job, be unemployed. Like they just kind of run, run the spectrum. I think when people talk about narcissists being intelligent, they tend to talk more about like the high powered CEOs Mm -hmm. or, um, uh, narcissists that kind of do have a high EQ and are malicious and, and malignant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of them have like the emotional maturity of like a five-year-old. And it's just amazing to me that they can hold down a job or have any friends or function even remotely in society. Yeah. Yeah. But I think those who have the high EQ and or IQ are the most dangerous ones. How hands down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I would say about 50, 60% of the time, I could probably spot them within an hour of talking with them a narcissist, a toxic one, a toxic person. I'll say that. But there are those who are so aware that they use it against you. And of course, then there are those who think they're smart and they're not smart. <laughs> I <was thinking. laughs> yeah. But you know, there's the, there's regular non-narcissists who are that way as well. So very true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's see. Here's a question from Leah. Leah Nova Scotia, who asks, is self-interest a bad thing? No, I don't think so. I think um, self-interest is normal, but when self-interest takes over and becomes your only interest, (laughs) then you have a problem. But I think you have to have self-interest. You have to be interested in yourself and your level of success and happiness and everything else. Everybody on the planet is interested in themselves a little bit. That's how we get up out of bed and we like do all the things that we do. We feed ourselves and we go to work and we do all that because we don't, by nature, we don't want to die. You know what I'm saying? That sounds really <laughs> But it's true. It's a survival yeah. thing. <laughs> anyway, thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's self-interest to a point. You know, if you're, if you're, and I think we can all relate, like we've all been probably around a person who has just that blinding degree of self-interest and they just, you know, go on and on about themselves. They take no sincere interest in anybody else around them. And it just sucks the air out of a room. And, you know, I have found too, like within my own self, I can be like this. If I'm really hyper-focused on a project, like when I'm writing a book, I am so immersed in that, that I am terrible company. (laughs) And because it's just, my mind is a very one track mind and I have a hard time shifting gears, Mm -hmm. but I try to just put that on the back burner when I'm out. I I guess what I'm saying is normal people, even if we're preoccupied with something. So, okay, here's, here's maybe another example. If a person is fresh out of an abusive relationship, it's all consuming. It's really all that they think about. It's all that they'd really talk about. It's all that they're focused on. Yeah. And they can have a hard time being around other people and that can be a very isolating feeling. It's sort of like, I don't want to hear about everything that's going on in your life because it can cause, it can feel like rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear about how happy and great your marriage is or your kids are, or you just got a promotion. Like it's hard when your own life is just a pile of rubble yeah. 
so it can, there's kind of that, I guess what I'm saying is there's kind of this weird stage when a person gets out of this type of situation uh, that can last for a while and they can just start to feel really narcissistic. Like, oh man, I'm really preoccupied and self-absorbed with my own pain right now. And what's wrong with me? Am I becoming a narcissist? And really it's just a very normal response to trauma. I think that's entirely true. And I also have experienced that same kind of distraction that you mentioned, like when I'm writing or when I'm working, I mean, it's even hard for me sometimes like this is silly, but I still build all my own websites because I like to. And, and so I was, I was, you know, if I'm working on a website, I'm like deep in the code or whatever, and Uh you know, or anything like that, where it requires really, you know, concentration. Um, I don't even, it's really hard for me to even pull my eyes up and look at a person and they might speak to me and I might not even hear them. I might be looking them right in their eyes and not hear what they're saying, not because I'm a narcissist, but because I have like you, I have a kind of a one track mind when it comes to certain things. And even like if I'm, or if I'm like out in the world somewhere and I've, I've got a project on my mind or something I'm working on for this channel or queen being or whatever. And, and I'm thinking, and I'm, and sometimes I just don't, I miss things <laughs> that normal people might notice, I guess, but that it's not about being a narcissist. It, it, I'm with you, I, I guess, but I like your example as well. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about that before we go to the next question? Uh, no, go for it. Okay. So I have Sharon Kaluba. She says, why do I feel so traumatized after discovering all narc abuse family, ex-husband and ex-boyfriend? I feel so traumatized. When will I start to feel better before my, when will I start to feel better? My mood goes up and down. Mm-hmm. And I want to start with saying this. Well, I'll let you start. Go ahead. Um, well, I think just that emotional up and down is very normal. I mean, it's part of kind of feeling emotionally blown apart and there's, it's just that cycle of grief, you know, where there's that acceptance and then there's that anger and then there's kind of that confusion and you're just kind of riding all of those stages and cycling through them very, very quickly. Yeah. And in this, normally people come to these types of channels because the one relationship brings them here mm-hmm. generally a significant one with like a really problematic parent or a significant other. And they think that they're here for this one relationship. And the more they start learning about this, the more it's like pulling a string on a sweater and they start to wake up to what problematic behavior looks like and what it feels like. And then they start realizing, Oh my goodness, I've been surrounded by a lot of these people in my life. And that's a terrifying realization. It's sort of like, finding out that a lot of people in your family are vampires. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of like, wait, what? Like, it's just outrageous when you start really fully realizing it. And it's, you've probably heard people talk about like, oh, it's this journey, like Alice in Wonderland or like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Like you're transported to this really far out different kind of world and you have to find your way back. And that's really what healing is from these relationships. Yeah. And on that same note, you know, you, you grew up thinking one thing and believing one thing. Okay. Well, my parents are this way and my, you know, brother and sister are that way. And my grandma's that way, whatever you thought people were a certain kind of person. People told you they were a certain kind of person. And maybe your spouse did the same thing and you believe them. And maybe you spent your whole life thinking that there were a lot of things wrong with you because everyone around you told you so. And then all of a sudden you recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> 
this is, you know, I, th- I guess my point is for me, the realization, it was like a, like Dana said, it was a, like pulling a string, but the initial realization that in fact, I was not the crazy one was huge. Um, and, and the realization of understanding how deep it went and how I really, at 35 years old, I had no freaking clue who I was because I, I had to rethink everything that I knew to be true, you know, and, and that was scary, but also incredibly freeing as a person who had been so oppressed in so many different ways. So think about it from a positive perspective whenever possible. (laughs) That's how I like to roll. (laughs) You got another one for us, Dana? Um, let's see here. Do you have one? I have. Let's see here. Let's talk about, I don't know what that means. Hold on a minute. So we have Carrie Westover. She says, it's 45 days, no emails from my ex-narcissist. Does that mean they've moved on for good and forgotten about me because this is what I'm hoping for? And I would say, unfortunately, I don't think that always means that. I've seen and heard about cases where narcissists have come back years later. But I think that maybe for at least the time being, you have a certain amount of freedom that you can work with. Um, Hopefully... You're not concerned about, I mean, I think you said it, you're not, so that's good. Um, I would move forward as if that were the case and and continue to leave this person blocked in every way possible, if possible, but I wouldn't assume that it, that you're completely in the clear at this point. What do you think, Dana? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and, and this isn't something for you to like lie awake worrying about. True. I think you just kind of have to have your emotional shield up. And prepare yourself emotionally for them, for the possibility of them to try to reopen contact. And so now you can be as proactive about that as possible. You can set up their email to go directly to spam. You can block their phone number. You can block them on all social media that you're on and just realize, okay, if they reopen contact, I'm just not going to let this knock me totally off balance. Right. And then that way, okay, you kind of got a plan in place. And if they do reopen contact, you're not going to get sucked back into it. But the best way to really get not sucked back in is to really make sure that you see this stuff crystal clear and that you're not under any illusions or delusions thinking that, oh, maybe we can be friends. Maybe this could somehow work. Uh, it It won't hurt to just kind of crack that door and have them in my life a little bit. Yeah. You just really got to stay, hold that no contact. Yeah. They do not change in my experience. I'm not, you know, yeah. And I have another one from uh, Michaela. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that for the people out there, because this is another question I'm sure you get all the time too, Angie. People will say, well, you know, can I be friends Mm -hmm. with my ex? I do. And I think this, and I love this question because I think it's such, it's one of those like entry point questions of understanding our boundaries and our standards. And if we're even considering, I think we have to get clear on like what a friend is. Right. And, you know, a friend is somebody that they're, they're emotionally safe and there's that sense of mutual trust and support Mm -hmm. and any, an abuser is definitely not that if anything, they're more of an enemy. They're looking to harm you. So we got to get that crystal clear about who's who, so we can put them in the right circle and our lives don't work if we have hurtful people in our inner circle. So, um, 
you know, and the fact that we would even entertain the idea of having a hurtful or harmful person in our inner circle to any capacity is a sign that we need to do some examination of our standards. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you're just going to be continue. You're, you will join a circle of supply for the narcissist if you choose to remain friends. And for me, that's enough. I mean, <laughs> that in itself is, is enough. I'm not going to be someone's supply if I can avoid it, <laughs> you know, which I can. Totally. So, yeah. And you're not going to get your needs met. I was thinking the other day, I was, I don't know what made me kind of think of this, but like trying to curl up to a narcissist. Did you ever hear that study? I forget who did it. Um, with the monkeys, they had like a baby monkey and a mama monkey. And then they took the mama monkey away. And then they gave another baby monkey, like a wire mesh monkey wrapped in like a terry cloth. I did hear about that. Okay. Yeah. And so then it was sort of like this determining factor, like which did the monkey, what would the monkey rather have food or this fake wire mesh monkey that there was nothing there, right? There's no warmth, there's no comfort, but it could give that false illusion of a sense of comfort. And the little monkeys would rather have starved and they would have starved and they would have, they preferred to go with the wire mesh terry cloth monkey. And I feel like that's us in so many ways with narcissists of, well, I'm just going to go snuggle up to this wire mesh monkey, but the re- it's and the result is the same. Like you're not going to, it might kind of feel good in the moment, but there's no depth of connection there. There's no nurturing. There's no, you're not going to get your emotional needs met with a wire mesh monkey. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. That's a really great example, actually. And I think that's the thing that we have to, I really like that example. We have to (laughs) notice that we have to see that and we have to learn to uh, give our, as humans, unfortunately, to give that to ourselves as well, which is hard and difficult because how are you going to have human contact with yourself? But (laughs) But it, it, we have to, we have to learn how to feed ourselves in that, in that spiritual sense until we can do better. And we have, you know, we can hug our kids and we can hug our friends and, and whatever, but we must, I think, stay, steer clear of, of the wire. Monkey. <laughs> yeah. No more, hashtag no more wire mesh monkeys. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Okay. So Michaela Tornquist, I think I can't say it right. Michaela says, how do I deal with the guilt feeling when going no contact with narcissist parents? I have a really hard time explaining to others what's been going on. I will tell you, I've done like two or three videos on that topic. Um, One thing I would say, I would say Michaela is number one, you don't have to tell people you're no contact unless I guess you're directly asked. And then you can just say, well, I don't speak to her much or haven't seen her in a while or him in a while or them in a while or whatever. As far as the guilt that goes with it, um, I would recognize that you are, I would take a moment and recognize what you've gone through and why you chose to go no contact. I want you to watch those videos when you get a minute, but that is a very common thing I hear all the time. And I also had a bit of guilt. Um, but what I do is if somebody needs to know the story, cause there's someone close enough to me that they need to know the story, I will tell them up to a point. Um, if they don't need to know the story, I just don't say a lot about it. I just say, well, we just, we, we don't get along that well. We don't talk very often, or I haven't talked to them in a while or whatever. And I just leave it as vague as possible because I don't feel the need to re, you know, to explain my whole life to everybody. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's important to recognize you don't owe anyone an explanation, not a full one anyway. What do you think about that, Dana? 
Yeah, I agree. And I like your idea of coming up with some sort of, you know, um, some sort of phrasing. Yeah. So, cause those questions can knock you off balance when somebody asks you something deeply personal. Yes. If you do tend to err on the side of like Angie, when I were talking about earlier of being an open book, mm-hmm. we might feel the need that we need to sit there and explain everything and then defend and argue and justify why we made this decision and, and you don't. And so like Angie was saying, some of that phrasing of, well, you know, um, things are just complicated or, you know, no, like, or just change the topic or any of the other phrasing that you were, that yeah. you were using, Angie, I think is great. Yeah. Just come up with a standard answer. That's vague, but complete, you know, well, we don't talk very much anymore. So anyway, <laughs> move on. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing this weekend? Yeah. You yeah. just, Put Always them. good to turn the topic back on anyone because yeah. everybody loves to talk about themselves <laughs> up to <Yeah>. a point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I would also add to that. Um, also, it helps to have a backup phrase if they do want to keep pushing. So if it's family or, uh, you know, somebody else, well, are you kidding me? You don't talk to your mother? Well, you know, she's not getting any younger. And well, why on earth would you not talk to your mother? And then you're like, oh, okay. Phrase number one didn't work. Now what do I do? So have another phrase to continue to hold that boundary. And it just might say, just say, you could say something like, you know what? Um, Our relationship, it's just complicated. I'd really rather just not talk about it. It's, or you could even kind of joke it off. Oh, that whole story. That's a four drink minimum. That's a good one. Maybe, I like that. Maybe yeah. Some other time we could talk about this and then just never talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, just remember that people who respect you are not going to push you that hard about it, you know, and, and yeah. if somebody does, I mean, granted, there are those people who just don't understand and who genuinely do care. And, and, and those are the people though, who will see in your face that you don't want to talk about it. And once you say your thing, they'll back off. But then like Dana said, there are, those people who mean well, but they'll kind of go over, but what do you mean? How dare you not talk to, you know, your mother's not getting any younger. Oh, you're going to regret this. Mm-hmm. She's right. You have to come up with a standard something. I like that, Dana. That's really, I like the four drink one. That's the best one I think I heard all day, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's see here. Had a comment from born vivid. Mm-hmm great name who says, I just realized three days ago that I was in a marriage with a woman that has strong narcissistic tendencies. I didn't realize, and I've been in a relationship with her for almost nine years. I didn't understand and thought I was doing something wrong. I didn't even fully know what a narcissist was. It's affected my financials, my career, school, and overall happiness. This trap sucks. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, um, one of, one of the many challenges with this is when we do start to wake up to it, it's very, it can be very curious for us to think, how did I, how was I not aware that I was being mistreated for nine years? Like, how did that fly under my radar? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's part of that rabbit hole that we start going down. But I will tell you on the other, when you come out on the other end of that and you're, you're learning about kind of manipulation and narcissism and all of just problematic behavior in general, your eyes are so much more open to it. 
And even though things are, are really chaotic right now, or maybe you're feeling a little derailed, um, when you start waking up to this and seeing it, your life can really start massively getting on track in ways that you never thought possible. Mm-hmm. But that, I will say that has its own level of crazy making that goes along with it because most other people are not awake to this kind of stuff except for other survivors of it. And so that can make a person kind of question their sanity. Like, am I overreacting? Like my spidey sense is going off about this one person, or I don't like the way that that person is talking to me or treating me, especially with more of the covert stuff, like the icy stares or the snarky remarks, or just kind of like the little poking and prodding or, you know, not asking another, not somebody not asking you about you. Like we were talking like all those little ways that yeah. tend to proceed bigger behavior. You're just going to be so much more in tune with all of it. I agree. Yep, absolutely. And I think that, I think that we end up, you know, you have, like Dana said, when you come out on the other side of it, you'll be more aware, you'll feel better. You'll be, as I always say, one of the strongest people, you know, in real life, For if sure. you intentionally choose to heal in the process, you know, there are those who don't go through the healing process and they just end up either back with another narcissist or hyper vigilant to the point that it hurts them and their life. They, they find, you know, they, they over overdo it with the the self-protection. And that's hard to say to somebody who has been through this, you know, could you overprotect yourself? Uh, But you know, here's an example. When I finally decided I was ready to start dating after my ex-husband and I split up, I was hypervigilant. I was so careful that I was like, I mean, and sometimes I was not stay, you know, I wouldn't give someone a second date because of, the, of something really dumb that probably wasn't really a red flag about anything. And, and, but then at the same time, you know, I didn't want to get back into a bad relationship. And I really, at that point had no idea about narcissism or anything like that. So now I'm much more aware and, and capable, but now I'm, somewhere else in my life. So (laughs) anyway, I don't know if that was helpful at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is helpful. I think, I think that hypervigilance, especially early on is it's very common. And, you know, I I know a lot of people are really concerned about that. Like, Oh, I don't want to miss out on a great person. And I, I would encourage anybody that's feeling that way, like to wait, to wait, mm-hmm, me too. Just bench, just bench yourself and practice these skills that you're learning in a safer way. I'm a big fan of meetup.com. For yes. So you're getting out there, you're meeting people and you know, you're going out maybe to new restaurants or you're, you've joined a book club or a writing group or a Chinese cooking class or whatever it might be. And you're interacting with people in a, in a different way. And so mm-hmm. there's not this huge emotional investment and yeah. in, because the the stronger the emotional investment, the stronger that level of cognitive dissonance can be if a person does start acting squirrely. It's so yeah. much easier to see squirrely behavior when you're not emotionally invested in it. That's yeah. the reason everybody else looks at us and they're like, it's so easy to Monday Monday morning quarterback, right? And oh, yeah. like, oh, you're so nuts. Yeah, that guy was, you know, that gal or that guy was a total jerk. I, you know, how did you ever stay married to them? Blah, blah. Like, they're going to see it a lot more clearly because they're not emotionally invested in the person. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think, well, you know, this is kind of sort of related to what you just said. Uh, LaCroix says, 
what is a good and brief way to describe narcissism to someone who believes narcissism is just looking in the mirror a lot. And I would say from my perspective, I would say lack of empathy. They don't have it. They don't care how anyone feels and they act like that. Every bit of their action, especially the people closest to them is their actions reflect and the way they speak, the things they say, the things they do reflect that they have no concern for that person's feelings, the people closest to them mostly. But what would you say, Dana? Yeah, I would say it's um, a destructive level of self-absorption, self-absorption to the point where the narcissist has this mentality of it's me at the expense of you. Yes. And they, at the expense of you part or at the destruction of you to more of an extreme, like psychopathic and Mm -hmm. that it's done in in ways that are verbal, emotional, psychological, physical, financial, sexual, and spiritual. It's, it's the, oftentimes the total destruction of another human being. Right. And, and, you know, to, to, to broaden it a little bit, I would say certainly there's a spectrum uh, because you, you do have those people that like to look in the mirror too much all the way over to the psychopath when we're talking on that spectrum of, of narcissism. So it doesn't mean that, the, you know, like all psychopaths and sociopaths are narcissists, but not all narcissists are psychopaths and sociopaths, right? So there's that balance to think about as well, but that's not brief. So, <laughs> right. But I, I would say to even on that spectrum, like to the mild degree, right? It's, it's, for narcissism. So you have like healthy narcissism. Okay. Which is kind of what we were talking about earlier, like self, uh, self-interest, right. uh, you know, that level on this kind of, um, say continuum of, uh, uh, self-orientation. Okay. Mm-hmm. That level health, healthy narcissism, you know, uh, it's more of a, Hey, why not me? Why not you? Yeah. Right. It's kind of, Hey, I've got the, the self-interest and the self-esteem. I can set goals. I can think big. I can go out there and achieve them. And Mm -hmm. even if I'm setting really kind of grandiose goals, I know that I may not know how to get there today, but that I can learn and apply and refine. And I can, I feel worthy enough to get out there and to have quality relationships and to do big things in this life. Right. Yeah. Uh, then on like the mild, when it starts like taking a turn, that more mild degree of narcissism is, I would say it's all about me. Mm. Right. And, mm. but that goes back to that wire mesh monkey. Like it's all about me. You're not going to get your needs met with that person. So then that's right. where you see like a lot of neglect. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go further on that continuum. And then it's all about me at the expense of you, which is even like, I would say f- more neglect more severe neglect. Mm -hmm. And then you have, it's all about me at the destruction of you. And then it's all about me at the death of you. Yeah. Absolutely. And then on the other side of that continuum, you could say that self-orientation for a codependence or even empaths and stuff on that side of the spectrum, where we are like, you know what, it's all about you at the expense of me. Yeah, exactly. And that's why We end up with, I think that's why they're attracted to empaths a lot of the time because they'll test us, won't they? They'll, they'll little test us. Like, let's say you, you went to the, you know, McDonald's or whatever, and you got some food and you brought it home and your food 
is there, but their food isn't there. And your first thought is, let me give you my food and then I'll just eat something else. It's, it seems silly, but that's a test. That would be a test of, oh, I see that you're going to, you know, you're going to have, give me the thing that I want and, and not get what you want for me. And then each time you do that, that sort of reinforces their knowledge of, of your willingness to do that, if that makes any sense at all. And, and I think it causes them to see and enjoy that they can take, you know, kind of grab, and then they cross every boundary you have over, over time and push them further and further back. And I ended up with almost no boundaries and I had to start it. Yeah. You can see, right? Like there's that perfect storm there. That's exactly what you're describing. So if we look on that self-orientation side of the spectrum of overgiving, yes. we can look at it as like overgiving and then overtaking, right? Mm-hmm. So the overgiving side, the mild end is it's all about you. Yeah. And then it's all about you at the expense of me. And then it's all about you at the destruction of me. It's all about you at the death of me. And this is why untreated codependency, this kind of stuff does lead to suicide and it leads or it leads to prolonged, drawn out addiction and just a person in a slow death mm-hmm. in many different ways, because this person's lost all sense of themselves because they've had to, in order to stay in a person, a relationship with an overtaker. It's I did narcissism. Yeah. yeah. That narcissism is just kind of that mentality of like, there can only be one mm, and absolutely. it's me. Yes. And everybody else must, you know, revolve around me. And that's, very destructive on so many different levels. Yeah. I I found myself defending the narcissist's crazy ideas and their, their need to be in control of everything. And even, you know, excluding longtime friends of mine from my life, you know, who were decent people because I was trying to keep that person from, from, feeling out of control from feeling unhappy or miserable. And at the time I thought I was doing it because, you know, that was my husband and that's what you do for your husband. And, you know, in hindsight, I recognized I was just trying to keep that person from being angry at me and treating me worse (laughs) and, and making my life harder because I knew that when there was someone who would challenge him or when there was someone who would, you know, stated an opinion that I knew he wouldn't like. I knew that later I was going to hear about it and maybe for days and days afterward, and it was going to somehow be my fault. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big part in our healing is to understand, I think to become more re in tune with how it feels kind of our, our wants and our needs and our thoughts and our feelings and also how it feels when we're being mistreated instead of glossing over it or assuming the best in somebody else or assuming that they didn't mean it or that this is somehow workable. So getting that, our alignment back into um, kind of that healthy narcissism of, Hey, you know what? I matter. And I'm not going to be treated with a lack of dignity or, or respect. Yes. And my wants and my needs and my feelings matter. That is so important. And, and knowing, and just being able to go, I, I like to tell people, sometimes you have to get indignant. Sometimes you have to go, are you freaking kidding me? Who are you to treat me this way? Because, yeah. and it's hard for us to do that because a lot of times we've had that person on our shoulder for a long time. Right. But when we can kind of pull ourselves away emotionally enough to look at it at arm's length and realize really what we're dealing with. And I like to tell people, think about what if your child or your best friend or someone else in your life told you 
the words that are you, that you need to say to someone, you know what I mean? Like, because we don't say to ourselves, I'm being abused in this relationship very often. Mm-hmm. We, we say to ourselves, gosh, she's so mean, or she's so mean, or gosh, why are they so harsh about stuff? Or we say to them, why, why, why do you hate me so much? I used to say that a lot sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at least to myself. But I think um, when we say out loud to someone, or if we would say out loud to someone, hey, you know, my husband or wife is, you know, constantly all about themselves and they're constantly focused on what I can do for them. And I've, I've pushed away all my friends and I don't have anybody in my life anymore, my family, whatever, because this person, you know, is abusing me emotionally. And you think about what if your child would say that to you as a grown up, or what if your best friend or your neighbor or someone that you care about would say to you exactly what you would say to them, if you could verbalize what you've gone through or what you're going through, how would you react to that? And I know that sounds weird, but if you think about it, just from try to see it from an outside perspective, looking in, like Dana said, it's always easier to see it from the outside. Right. So that's why I like to ask people to imagine it coming from someone who isn't them, the words. And the reason I'm saying the words is because we don't, we don't think those things exactly like that. Am I making sense, Dana? Or am I off? Okay. Okay. Oh, totally. I think that's what's so hard is because I think people are looking for a concrete thing for some, for a somewhat nebulous term. So when we say words like narcissist or abuse, like with narcissist, I think a lot of people are, and I get it because I was there too. They're thinking about there's this grand unveiling like with Scooby-Doo, like that's, you know, that's not a zombie. That's, you know, like, Mr. Whatever. Mr. Bob. Yeah. Curses right? foiled again. Housekeeper Bob. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so it's sort of like, oh, that's that there's something concrete there, mm-hmm. you know, but narcissist, like for a person to be a narcissist, it's just a series of traits. And because there's nothing concrete, like there's no grand unveiling that's why this stuff can be so hard to pinpoint. And same thing with abuse. Like we tend to think, oh, it's not abuse if I can still tolerate it. Like Mm -hmm. abuse is what you see on Dateline, right? Right. Or this person was set on fire by their ex or they're they're in the hospital. They've got really, you know, they're all bruised up and they've got broken bones. It's what you see on a domestic violence poster. That's abuse, but that's not me. So, and a lot of people will feel they're like, you know what? I feel like even talking about emotional or psychological abuse or saying that I've been abused Mm -hmm. is somehow disrespectful to those that have gone through physical abuse. And then there's kind of that, another internal struggle of like, you know what, my, my relationship was toxic, but I don't know if I'd say it was abuse. Like, I don't know if I want to go that far. Yeah. I've heard a lot of that as well. Wording is so tricky. And I know you and I both talk about this a lot because we're both big fans of this. Mm -hmm. The words are pointers and kind of get the clarity. Once you kind of get the clarity you need, mm-hmm. then you can kind of let the word go. Um, yeah. Or you don't need the word so much, I should say, because the, the words sh- shift and change. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that when I'm saying, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you. And And the reason I bring up the words at all is because, if you think about, if you were to state the nature of your relationship out loud with a narcissist, and if you were really, really honest, you know, probably all of those feelings of, I'm not sure that high threshold for abuse, it has to go away if you imagine your child or your best friend or someone you care about saying those words to you. But I agree with Dana, don't get married to the words, you know, 
keep moving forward, keep working toward letting go of the things that don't matter. And, you know, when you finally get away from a narcissist, it's scary, but also the best thing that ever happened to you. You know, if you're willing to keep going forward and personally developing and letting go of those, those wrong voices in your head or the, I don't mean voices, but you know what I mean? The thoughts, thought patterns, the things the that have been systems and yeah, yeah, things that have been put in your head by people who did not have your best interest at heart at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> at the very least. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have a comment here from Bonnie who, uh, I think this also brings up a great point. She was talking about how narcissists, you know, if you mention to them, and if you have any issue with their behavior, they'll say, oh, you're, you know, they were only kidding or you're too sensitive. And some other variations of that would be like going on a car trip with a narcissist and you saying, I've really got to go to the bathroom. Oh yeah. And they're like, well, you're just gonna have to wait because in their mind, they don't have to go. Yes. That's a great example, Dana. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, and it's like if, or if you're in pain, yeah, there's this inability to understand like, oh, you're, you stepped on a nail or your ankle's broken. Like, oh, just kind of shake it off or you'll be okay. Or they downplay it. If you're sick, if you're sick and need to stay home from school, Mm -hmm. it's an inconvenience to them because they lack that empathy. They, They lack that understanding of that you're separate. It's back to that teddy bear and the child. They're like, yeah. what do you mean you're in, you have to go to the bathroom. I don't have to go to the bathroom. Right. What do you mean you're in pain. I don't have to, I'm not in pain. What do you mean? You've got a problem with the things I said to you. I'm just telling the truth or I was just hit, cracking a joke. Like yeah. there's just this complete inability for them to reflect and relate to other people. Yeah. I have a, a client who told me one time that her mother, she, she was like in college or something. Her mother took her to the hospital because I don't remember it was something terrible that she went through. And anyway, she couldn't, it, I don't remember the specific detail, but she couldn't walk very well after whatever happened. It was really painful and horrible. And uh, her mother was helping her out of the hospital. And as, as they're walking, she's kind of walking slow and looking a little funny. And her mother stops and like hisses at her. I don't know if you have ever experienced that. I have the hiss you know, when she said, uh, stop it right now, you're embarrassing me. Mm. They're walking out of a hospital and her, you know, and I, I just, I think that's an example of what you just said. I, it's literally, I, I remember embarrassing my mother very many times. <laughs> so yeah, little things like that, but that was a, one of my clients told me I was pretty shocked by that. So same deal. Yeah. But that, the, I, I love the example of, of that you gave initially with the the car trip and going to the bathroom because, because personally I have a small bladder and uh, I got a lot of that. I, I probably damaged my bladder on long trips with narcissists. Yeah. So anyway, moving right along. Uh, that was a great example. Yeah. And people are talking about the same thing with food. Mm. Like if they're not hungry, they don't understand how you're hungry. Yeah. It's just that complete inability to relate. And it's, you know, when, when you're a kid and you're growing up with it, you really do think there's something wrong with me. I remember being, uh, going on a road trip with a boyfriend when I was in my early twenties mm-hmm. and same holding it. I had to go pee so bad. And, and it was no problem for him to stop and pull over. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, that was so easy. 
Like, really, I just have to mention, I've got to go to the bathroom and you're going to go find the next exit. Yeah. Like it should be that easy. It should should be be. that easy. Right. You know, I mean, that's what we would do for somebody. If somebody's like, Hey, I've really got to go to the bathroom. I mean, depending if you're like in the middle of traffic, you're like, okay, you know, how can you wait until like, do we need to find the next exit or can you wait a few more exits till we can get out of traffic? Like how urgent is the situation here? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're concerned about them because you can relate. Exactly. That's the thing. Right. Exactly. Okay. I have a really quick food story for you. Okay. <laughs> so when I was 13, <laughs> uh, there was this place in the town I grew up in this little pizza place. Everybody in the town know, they know about this pizza place. And, and so we were having my birthday there with a few friends. We were just, it wasn't even a party. It was some friends on a pizza pizza. So my mother orders a pizza that has everything on it. Okay. Because she said, I didn't know what everyone liked. This included many ingredients that I don't like. And I said, but you know what I like? Why didn't you get the pizza that I like? It's my birthday. And she repeated, I didn't know what everybody liked. So I got the pizza I liked. She knew for sure I didn't like that stuff on the pizza. (laughs) I know this. (laughs) And yet she on my birthday couldn't even bend this far to not get mushrooms and olives on the pizza. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, it's a petty thing, right? It seems petty and small that I still 30 years later, remember this, right. <laughs> but I really was affected by that. And it was, it really shocked me that my own mother couldn't get the damn pizza I liked on my birthday, you know, but she got the pizza yeah. she liked. It's so stupid, but, well, it, but it's not stupid. I think it's just, right. it's all of those little moments exactly. that just tell a person you're not important. Exactly, Dana. That's right. exactly what it is. Yeah. Because invalidation. Invalidation. Yeah. And because yeah. to, you know, for your own children, right? For their birthday, it would be like, yeah, let's get your favorite pizza. We're going to get you a cake. You're important. Of course. We're going to show you in all of these little yeah. ways that you matter. We're not just going to tell you that you matter or that right. I love you. I'm going to show right. you. Right. Right. And it is so incredibly hurtful with stuff like I had the same, this many, many same experiences of that where it's like, well, you can just pick it off. Right. And it's like, you know, (laughs) all the time. And then, then you do feel petty. Then then it would be spun back around on you. Oh, well, you're lucky you even get pizza. Right. I never had pizza growing up or we didn't have, you know, we were too poor for pizza or there's kids out there, you know, starving in Africa kind of a thing. And you're like, then you think to yourself, well, yeah, I guess I am. I'm asking a lot and I am a jerk and I'm not appreciating the little things. I heard the starving children in Africa thing every time I didn't like food. There are starving children in Africa. eat it anyway. A lot. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. I mean, to to probably gives away my age, Um, (laughs) but I'm not hiding it. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. But that, 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 that was when all the Ethiopia stuff was going on on the news. You know, there was a starvation in Ethiopia, lots of it. And I'm sure that there still is. I don't know. But um, yeah, that was the starving children in Africa, starving children in Ethiopia. That's what I heard. And, and that was I was supposed to feel bad and eat my food anyway, even if I wasn't hungry, even if I didn't like the food. And so I feel if it helps anybody feel any better, my children don't have to eat anything. They don't want to eat. I do ask them to try things, but that's it. <laughs> so anyway, I did my research and I found out that that's actually a, an obesity. Why part of the reason that children deal with obesity 
as they get older. And that, so when I was pregnant with my oldest child, I wanted to not do anything to make him obese. <laughs> so I went to the library because this was in 97. I went in the library, my oldest, uh, to the library and read about how I could avoid making my child obese. <laughs> and one of the biggest things that I read was forcing them to eat things they don't want to eat and force and not letting the, you know, cause what happens is when you're constantly over that I'm off topic, but I'm just going to say what happens when you're constantly over fed or forced to eat things you don't want is that your body's clock turns off, uh, not clock, um, hunger sensor, whatever. You don't really know when you're hungry anymore. You just function on like a, a schedule almost. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's really huge. I saw a YouTube video kind of along the same lines um, a while back and the guy was talking about, he was, you know, very obese and he'd lost all this weight. And one of the things that he had done is he had to get reconnected with his internal clock. And so one of the things that he was doing, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant is he had a scale of like zero to 10 and like a hunger scale. Mm -hmm. And so 10 would be I'm ravenous. Like, can we eat now? Kind of a thing. Zero would be not hungry at all. Three would be like, yeah, you know, I could eat. Like I might munch on something if it was there. You know, five was, yeah, I'm starting to get hungry. You know, six was, I think I need to eat within the next half hour. You know, seven is, okay, I'm kind of getting a little shaky and irritable or, or what have you. And the check in with himself. And I think that is so brilliant because so often we like, it's weird. Like our eating habits do tend to be dictated, especially if you're married and have kids sort of like, I'm not really hungry, but I got to make dinner for everybody else. Everybody else is eating. So I guess I'll just eat too kind of a thing. And and then same with kids, like everybody can just get so off track and then eating when they're not even hungry. Yeah. It's totally true. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's like a whole other thing, but it's really, uh, it was, it was really important when I was going through my whole weight loss thing. And I'm, I think a lot of people know I'm back on like the Weight Watchers thing again because I gained a few pounds, but I'm doing good. Uh, but anyway, it um, it I had to dig deep and I had to understand myself, and that was really important as well. And that is something that we do. Our whole society kind of does that a little bit without even recognizing it. We turn off our natural understanding, our body's, you know, system that tells us, okay, you've had enough, you know, and and if we could only eat what we want to eat only as much as we need to eat naturally, we would, none of us would be obese or overweight. And that's again, we're off topic, but that's a really big deal. And I think a lot of survivors struggle with it either on the overweight side or the underweight side, because Mm -hmm. sometimes eating is the only thing we can control (laughs) when we're in one of those relationships, but moving right along. All right. Although sometimes we can't even control that. (laughs) So there's so many lessons I think that we can dig out of like being involved in a narcissist and the whole weight thing is a big one, Mm -hmm. you know, and the kind of realization of, oh my goodness, this is how I self-soothe. Yeah. Or this is how I handle stress. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, for me, like I didn't realize because I was never like a binge eater. Like I never ate like a whole pizza or like a whole gallon of ice cream, but it was, you you know, it doesn't take a lot, you know, an extra couple hundred calories a day and you're gaining weight, you know? And, um, that was been very eye opening of like, Oh my goodness. I did not realize that if I start gaining weight, I need to really slow things down and start examining like what, where's this imbalance in my life. And same thing, like I was talking about writing a book when I become very 
kind of self-absorbed and like lost in this book. And I also wanted to say, I also quit doing a lot of other things like myself, my, there are times where I just won't shower at all the whole weekend because I'm focused on doing stuff. So it's like my whole life just starts falling apart. Yeah. Those are some signs of, okay, I need to find some more balance in here because this is not working for anybody, myself included. I can relate to that as well. Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. I guess like, yeah, if you're seeing these things, cause a lot of people struggle, they're like, man, I never w- was a drinker before, but now I am, or mm-hmm. I am abusing prescription medication or marijuana, or um, I'm sleeping a lot, or I'm gaining weight or I'm losing weight or this, that, and the other, like, these are all signs that there's, that there's, these are symptoms. These aren't the problem. Absolutely. And agree. if we can address the symptoms, it's just, it, pulling another string on a sweater and you're like, boom, yeah. oh my goodness. I did not even realize that this whole thing was there that I need yeah. to address. That's really true. Yeah. And I, you know, I wrote a book about the, the project blissful thing, the weight loss thing I did. And, um, and I went into all of that because that is something that we don't even, I didn't go into narcissistic abuse, but I went into how I had to dig in my own head and figure out why these things were happening. And by doing that, I made a huge amount of, but that's just the weight loss thing. But, but there are other, like Dana said, so many issues that we all, you know, pick up. Sometimes I think people get on marijuana, you know, like get on marijuana, use marijuana or use some other kind of drug or use gambling or shopping or whatever Mm -hmm. to numb out when they're in these relationships, I think that I used various things to numb out in those relationships. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when you can, when you can get past it. You know what I mean? Can I just, can I just say something? Mickey Duncan says, my narc always used to tell me I'm past my prime. He always used to compare me to 20 year olds. I don't care. I'm 33 and amazing. First of all, if you're past your prime at 33, I'm screwed. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and you, I'm sure you're amazing, Mickey, but you know, that's not, that is some BS that they just like everyone else. And she, I'm glad that she feels the way she does, because that's exactly how she should feel that she's 33 and amazing. Um, I had my, my last child at 32, my youngest child. So I was definitely not past my prime at 33. And I don't think I'm past my prime right now. If we're not, that, you know, I'm just saying, but <laughs> you know, and, and prime according to who? Right. Exactly. You know I mean, mean, really. Like I, I, I will be 41 July 31st and I feel, I feel like I'm just getting going. Mm. I feel like I'm really just coming into my own and I have so many things just figured out about myself and like the direction I want to head. And like, yeah. So I, I think that's a thing a lot of people get stuck on. I, and I, I will tell you the years between like 25 and 30, maybe even 32 are some of the hardest years for so many people. Cause there is that pressure of you got to get married. You got to get a job. You got, you got to do all these things like right now. And if that's not happening or if we're rebuilding during that time, mm-hmm. then people can feel behind the ball. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I feel like I said, I'm just getting started and um, you know, but the prime, I mean, I, just, I feel like there's a lot of people that are, you know, even significantly old, I mean, freaking um, Colonel Sanders didn't start KFC till he was in his late sixties. Yeah. You know, I mean, was Helga Crooks was a woman who didn't start mountain climbing until she was in either her seventies or eighties. Yeah. And, and like the way I see it is this, first of all, I have no desire to go back to my twenties because I was in terrible relationships. I was broke as a joke. And 
and life was hard and I didn't understand myself, you know, and my thirties were a little better, but I'm 43 and uh, I'll be 43 for another seven, eight months. <laughs> I can't do math when I'm talking um, March of next year. Uh, I'll be 44, but, but really, truly, I don't care because life is so much better now than it used to be. I understand myself. I'm not miserable all the time. I now I can choose to be happy. And I tell my kids all the time, let me teach you about this because if you know now what I what I, you know, what I should have known, but didn't, nobody told me all those years ago, you can be so much more powerful in, in the world than I have ever been. And I truly want that for them. And I don't mean powerful, like asshole, powerful, pardon me for saying it, but I mean, powerful, like personally able to stand up and have a life that they choose. My God, imagine Dana, if you and I knew back then, what we know today, how powerful we could be as people. And I don't, again, I don't mean it's about money or anything like that. I mean, personally not affected in negative ways. Like you step into like your own truth. Yes. You know, and like, that's just so beautiful. Like, yeah, I don't look like I'm 20, but you look good though, girl, you look good. Well, thanks. But you know what though? Like, seriously, it's, no, unless a person's 20, they don't look like they're 20. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't want to like tie all of my self-esteem to something that's so fleeting, like age. Totally. I'm, I'm with you. 100%. That's crazy. But yeah, I think it's a very common thing for an abuser to kind of plant those seeds of insecurity mm-hmm. of, oh, well, you know, you're past your prime or you'd be so lucky to have, you know, anybody would be so lucky to have me or blah, blah, blah. And it's sort of like, if yeah. you can find beauty and power personal power in every single decade then you're in, that you're in yeah. like that's so tragic and you cannot hang your I totally agree with you and you cannot hang your self-esteem completely on looks and you cannot hang them on age or anything else I'm telling you though I would much rather be 43 than 23 I'm telling you <laughs> it's true and I probably looked a lot prettier when I was 23 but I just didn't know it back then you know and and now that I am okay with who I am if you think I look good, thank you. If you don't, don't care. That's how I feel about it. You know what I mean? I'm okay with how I look, even when my hair is stupid. <laughs> Beach waves. Not, yeah. She keeps cute. telling me. I do. It does. It's cute. You guys, isn't her hair cute? We were just, we talk about this every time we go on a live stream and she's like, oh, my hair is still wet. It looks terrible, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, it, dude, like if that's terrible, then you should see my hair. I look like Rod Stewart. <laughs> My hair is so curly. It's, and then I have bangs. So I get like that super short, like front mullet. Kind oh, of yeah. <laughs> My daughter gets that. Yeah. It's, it's bad. so bad. Like, <laughs> hmm. Well, look, let me just say this in the nineties. I did not have to get a perm. I could just like spray <laughs> on it and go with it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. Moving on, moving on. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, let, me see. let me, okay. Let me see if, let me see if I can find uh, question. That's a good comment. C Rob says men only attracted to youth are not men that you want to have a relationship with. Yep. Absolutely. I think that's a huge red flag. If somebody's focusing on something that's so fleeting and I agree. superficial, like, okay, how are you going to feel about me when I'm 30 or when I am 80? Right. You know, and honestly, I think this goes both ways. Women too. I mean, 
you yes. see them, women who are only with young men or whatever. And, and I think it's about trying to recapture something you don't have anymore. But if a man or a woman isn't capable of being with someone closer to their own age, a lot of times that's because, now let me just say this before I continue that sentence. There are cases where it does work for whatever reason. Uh, they're old soul, one's an old soul, one's not, you know, one's a young soul, whatever. But mm-hmm. in, and I'm talking about, you know, somebody who's 50 and wants to be with a 23 year old, sometimes the reason they want that in, in addition to their own superficiality is because you know, someone who's a little older and more confident in herself or himself might call that person out on their BS. I'm just saying, (laughs) I think that, you know, but also it's, it's a lot of superficial bullshit. So pardon me again with the cussing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. yes. Um, But, oh, see, Rob says we both look amazing. And she turned, she, she, I'm not sure if yes, she, uh she turns uh, 40 on Thursday hands up <laughs> happy birthday but she says um we're making us we're making her feel great about it so that's awesome because really that's what it's you have to love yourself and just totally as you are in any given moment i mean i let me just say one more thing about weight loss i'm sorry <laughs> yeah, no go for it but the thing that really pushed me over the top with the project blissful thing i did where i was trying to lose weight and do all the thing was simply that I had to um, be okay with who I was in the moment at any given moment. And so even though I weighed some ridiculous amount of overweight for being five feet tall, I ha- and it was obese, I had to go, okay, this is who I am right now. This is what my body is in this moment. And I just have to love it anyway and be okay with it. And, and you know, right now I'm at that age, I'm, I'm 43 and I am noticing little lines and changes in my face. And I, part, part of me wants to stop going on camera and part of me wants to, you know, just put my head under the pillow. And, and then I'm like, well, damn, I'm 43. I mean, what are they, I'm not going to look 23, like Dana says. And so I just have to be okay with it. And I am okay with it. I just don't care <laughs> because yeah. this is what I have going on. And I love myself anyway, even when it's hard to do that sometimes. And I think all of us could benefit from a little more of that in our lives, right? <laughs> Yeah, totally. I keep finding, you know, gray hair. And, you know, when, when you have dark hair, like I do, it stands out like tinsel. Sure. Yeah. Like you really see it. And I was thinking the other day, I'm like, you know, I might just decide at like 43, 44 to just dye my hair silver, like just go like full out like Daenerys Targaryen. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> just go silver hair and then just not worry about it. Yeah. Is, you know, just if you're gonna do it do it right (laughs) right right I like that idea I can't wait I can't wait you should (laughs) should try it like a wig first and see how you like it but I think you could totally rock that if I'm being honest I'm just saying okay I have a (laughs) I have a question from Jessica who says and and I love this question because I have been there um she says how do you deal with a narcissistic mother who thinks there is nothing wrong with her how do you get her to see this I have a thought about that. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Go for it. Okay, here it goes. You can't. Don't try. That's all. No, really, don't try. Because what will happen is, as you probably know, if she's a narcissist for your whole life, anytime you try to say anything other than, oh my gosh, mom, you're so amazing and perfect and I love everything about you. She does what? She either crumbles and cries or she screams and acts crazy or she doesn't talk to you anymore. Some punishment is given to you in the form of an emotion or lack thereof, right? If you try to explain to her, hey, 
you're a narcissist. Here are the, here's my proof step-by-step. Here's all the things. Here's, here's a a video of Angie and Dana saying, yep, that sounds like a narcissist. (laughs) It doesn't matter because she will not see it. She will just blame you. And she already doesn't value what you're saying anyway. Your best bet is to go no or low contact if she's truly toxic to your life. And otherwise say nothing. You can't, it's don't talk to deaf people <laughs> with your mouth. I mean, and, and uh, with, with words who uh, yeah. not deaf people, but you know what I'm saying? You can't talk to someone who doesn't understand you. There's no point. It's like talking to, you know, someone who speaks not English in English and explaining something to them that they really need to know. They won't get it. She won't get it. It doesn't matter if, if she needs to know or not, she won't get it. That's on her. It's not your problem. Dana, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I would agree completely. It's sort of like Angie's example with her mom buying that pizza. Narcissists have reasons for everything they do. Mm-hmm. And because they always think they're right, they justify, just like the rest of us, we, whenever we take some sort of action, we have a reason for it. And we justify to ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. So this is why in their mind, they think that they're doing the right thing because they have reasons for it. It's the whole, like I had mentioned earlier, oh, you forgot to buy milk at the store. That's why I yelled at you. Oh, well, that person cut me off in traffic. That's why I pulled a gun on them. Mm-hmm. Oh, she, you know, did this to me. This is why I beat her up. The, like in the mind of a narcissist, at all of their behavior is justified because they have a reason for what they're doing. To a normal person, we understand like self, like, moderating our behavior. Like we can't, you can't just pull a gun on somebody because they cut you off. Like you can't just beat somebody up because you, they, they did something you don't like because you're frustrated. Yeah. Right? You have to have yeah. self-control. They don't have that. And so whenever you confront them about any type of behavior, oh, this really hurt my feelings or, you know, you said this, or you didn't do this or whatever. There's, they just don't get it because in their mind, they're like, well, this is very, you cut me off in traffic. I pulled a gun. If you hadn't have cut me off in traffic, I wouldn't have pulled a gun. Look at what you made me do. Yeah. It's really your fault that this happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to just, um, yeah, somebody said something really good a minute. Hold on. Let me find it. It was Tamara. She said, oh, she said, instead of diagnosing others, do you think it's rational to cut them off because of the fact that when you are with them or you leave that person's presence, they make you feel worthless. Yep. That is the sign of a toxic person. I like that. I don't think we need to diagnose other people. I think the reason that I talk about NPD, Dana talks about NPD. We talk about psychopaths, sociopaths, all that stuff is because sometimes you need somebody to say to you, what you're going through is not normal. Yeah. It's not okay. And I, but I absolutely, I think you make an excellent point there where you said, is it rational to cut them off because they make you feel worthless? I, I say, yes, yes, <laughs> Dana. And I think that's why Angie and I really make a point of using a bunch of different terminology, mm-hmm. like toxic, narcissist, problematic, abusive, manipulative. We try to kind of cover all the bases to paint a fuller picture, but yes, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Like I was mentioning earlier, you know, if you can tighten up your boundaries to realize, I, you know, I don't need to sit here and figure out, is this person a narcissist or not? Or are they in fact cheating on me or not? If you tighten things up to like, I don't do crazy making, I don't do perpetual confusion. I don't do mental anguish. You know, I don't want to be around somebody that I leave their presence and they feel, 
if you're using words like toxic, energy vampire, um, I'm feeling drained, that that's not time well spent mm-hmm. in that kind of environment. You really want to go towards what is empowering, what is nourishing, that's healthy. What is healthy for you and moving in that direction? Yeah, totally. And I want to touch on, um, Mickey says, actually, I, I look better now than I did at 23. And I think I do too. And even though I probably have not as good skin, but I still feel the same way because I'm more confident in who I am now and I'm healthier than I was then. Um, but, but that's not what I just wanted to throw that in. But the other thing is, um, Jessica about the mother thing, I want to come back around to that really quickly, because I think one of the reasons that we want to tell her, one of the reasons that we need her to understand, and we feel like we need her to, you know, to say to us, okay, I get it. I'm a narcissist. I'm a bad person. Well, the reason that we want that is because we want them to validate us. And, and I think that we have to let go of the need to get that validation. It's very hard. And don't misunderstand me and think that I'm like so over it because certainly there's a part of me that would just love it. If I got a phone call and she said, you know what, you're right. I'm so sorry. I was a terrible mother, (laughs) but it's not going to happen. And that's the unfortunate sucky thing about this is that we have to learn to self validate. You have to, it's, it's hard, but you can, you can, I promise you, I could do it. You could do it. If I can. And I did. And Dana has, you can, if you choose to. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, it's giving up the fantasy of mm-hmm. having this mother, daughter, father, daughter, whatever it might be, father, son, whatever dynamic that you were hoping for. It's yeah. hard to let that go mm-hmm. really hard and hope yeah. dies last for so many people. And, um, and honestly, like Angie was saying, you know, wanting that, like, yeah, I was a really crappy mom. I'm so sorry. That honestly can be th- the worst thing that can happen because then it can re- re- reignites that feeling of hope of, oh, maybe this time will be different. She's turned a corner. She's got some sort of awareness. Yeah. Uh, so then we triple up our efforts trying to make this work. Well, let me get you some more info, mom. And maybe we could go to therapy and blah, blah. But even if a person has awareness that they're, they're like, wow, I have a blinding degree of self-absorption and I have no empathy or remorse. That's a problem. Getting them, even if it's a therapist, like whatever work that they do on themselves, that needle's not going to move very far, very fast. Yeah. It's going to be 40 years before they were even functioning at the age of a 10 year old. Right. It's behavior modification as opposed yeah. to actual change. That's what I've seen when they have, because there's yeah. that Dr. David Dawkins or Hawkins or something who talks about that. And he talks about, oh, I, I fix narcissists. And yet I've talked to some of his patients' wives, because he only works with male ones, and they literally come, they, they say it's behavior modification. And and if you don't, if you, if they stop going to this person, you know, they still slip, you know, in the process. And if they, the person says they have to be their patient forever. And it's just, to me, it's a money thing more than any, it's hope. Like you say, hope dies last. And that's the, the sad, unfortunate thing for sure. And most narcissists aren't even going to change behavior. I mean, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Like you would, you might deal with, so let's say, you know, Angie had that conversation with her mom and her mom was like, okay, then maybe the next time her mom might order the pizza that she really likes. But that inability to understand where another person's coming from is going to keep surfacing in like a dozen other areas. So like, okay, boom, like you got that part figured out. Now she knows to order different pizza, but then boom, 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 boom. There's all these other ones that pop up. 
yeah gotta now address one at a time like okay it really hurt my feelings that like I you didn't pull over when I really had to go to the bathroom and I ended up wetting my pants or like you know I was really hungry and you it's like it's just exhausting to try to explain to another adult kind of the basics of adult behavior it just doesn't get very far and that's that's assuming that they're not going to flat out rage at you. I mean, every narcissist I've even met, like on the, even on the mild one ends that letting them know what about their behavior bothers you just opens a person up for an attack yeah. either, either right away or down the road. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just, like, it's not workable. And it's just, to me, it's just sick. It's just sick that a professional would even, try to encourage that this is working like that's I don't even know what that is in my mind like ignorance arrogance like deep deep dysfunction on just so many levels and lack of self-awareness is I think what I see the the most um and I think ignorance and arrogance of course all of those things but when I've seen a narcissist who is like maybe on the 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 lower end of the spectrum and they're like oh I want to change I want to do it's it's sometimes it's about it's fake. It's for attention or where nar- it's narcissistic injury. Oh yeah. I'm such a terrible mother. Oh my God. You know, poor you. But sometimes yeah. if it, if it seems sincere to me, it's, it's just a huge lack of self-awareness and, and a lack of ability to open their eyes to their flaws because that would make the whole facade crumble and, and that would destroy them. My, yeah. you know, um, Doreen says, I've lost three quarters of my hair. Now this further isolates me. I don't want to go out with no hair or always wearing a hat. Any tips or advice? Yeah. Um, look into, I don't, I don't know what the, um, I, I don't know how your hair is, but uh, look into, you know, clip-in extensions or wigs or um, that kind of stuff. Uh, and don't, don't just, hair is just, it's try to reduce your stress. <laughs> Because yeah. that's probably why it's coming out. And talk to your doctor as well, because maybe there's a hormonal reason. Um, anyway, any thoughts on that, Dana? Yeah, I mean, if if there's not a medical reason like thyroid or, you know, some sort of other health issue that's going on, if you're, you know, if you're pulling your hair, I mm-hmm. worked with a woman years ago at a domestic violence shelter who was also missing about three quarters of her hair and it was stress and she would sit there and she would pull. And she pulled out her hair was just very splotchy because of that. And it was stress. So if that's what's going on, um, you know, this is again, just like the weight, just like anything else, it's a sign of things kind of need to get back into balance there. Yeah. Um, If it's, if we're talking more like alopecia or something like that, that's going on. uh, I don't know. And frankly, I kind of think bald is beautiful. I think there's lots of really, it's just, it's different and it's unique. I could see how a person wouldn't be comfortable with it because it is different and unique. Right. But uh, I mean, you could always get a handful of wigs and just different colors and play it up. I had a coworker uh, a few years ago who was going through chemo and she had the best attitude about it. And she had such a wide variety of wigs (laughs) and we never knew what she was going to come in wearing. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. yeah, It was just really entertaining. Yeah. And that, you know, embrace it It is, I agree with you. I I think that's a great, I would not be like, you don't have to necessarily tell everybody, okay, I'm I'm losing my hair or whatever, but 
yeah. if you, the people who know you well enough to love you are the only people who really matter anyway, what they think. But if you're going out in public and one day you have long blonde hair and the next day, you know, you have spiky green hair. So what? Have fun with it. I'm just saying, <laughs> I love that idea, Dana. That's yeah. Cool. My coworker, she had one of her wigs was like a Bob Marley, like long dreads. That's great. Yeah. It was just cute. And then another one was like a little, um, like raggedy and like yarn. It's so cute. Wig with little bows. Yeah. There's lots of fun, affordable choices out there, but yeah, people are saying in the chat, you know, if it's, if you don't know what's going on, definitely medically go get it checked out. It can be a sign of high blood pressure. It can be a sign of some other major issues. So yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we're over time. Yes. Yes, we are. (laughs) What happened? We just got all involved. We had a good one today. Yes. (laughs) All right. Um, Do you have any final words or do you want to pick one more each and then go out or how do you want to do this? Um, I took a picture of Mm -hmm. something that I thought was worth sharing about healing. Hold on, let me find it. The quote that says, sometimes the smallest step in the right direction ends up being the biggest step of your life. Oh, that's so true. Tiptoe if you must, but take a step. And that's by name Callaway. I love it. Yeah. And you know, it's absolutely true. And I don't even think I can add anything to it except to get to step in (laughs) because you do have to take one step. And and anytime you take one step, the only logical solution is the next step. (laughs) And baby steps are a good thing. Tiptoe. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, everybody. First of all, Jamie V, I'm so glad you were here and I'm so sorry I didn't get a chance to say hello yet. Hello, Jamie V. I miss you. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, Everybody else. Thank you so much for being here, Dana. As always, thank you. We will be on Dana's channel next week. That's Thrive After Abuse here on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and Thrive After Abuse on Facebook, thriveafterabuse.com. Check this girl out if you don't already know her. She's awesome and amazing and we love her. All right. (laughs) So we'll see you next week over on Dana's channel. And thank you so much for being a part of our day. See you soon. Great rest of your day. All right. Bye-bye.